It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number two of Sports Day Plus. At 10.45, where are we at in society? Hooters turns 50, which is fitting because sales have been sagging for several years now. At 10.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com, talking Texas OU. And coming up in seconds, we start today's show by talking about what else? This weekend's Red River Shootout. It is a top 12 matchup after all, even if it doesn't feel like one. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at CourtesyWave. And do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. We are one day closer to Texas OU, the 119th edition of this matchup, if I'm not mistaken. And right now, if you're a Longhorn fan, you are feeling pretty good. Despite the fact that this is a rivalry game, which means... Much like with all sports, or most sports I should say, anything can happen that seems more relevant when you're talking about rivalry games and just your standard matchup. And this year's Oklahoma team is much improved from the group last year that got absolutely beat down by the Texas Longhorns 49 to nothing. It is Brent Venable's second year as head coach, and he seems to things to uh, seems to have things going in a better direction on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense. And so for Texas, the questions you have to ask yourself is: Can you continue to play complementary football, much like what we've seen certainly last week against Kansas? But I would argue that complementary football has been on display for much of 2023. Even if the offense hasn't always been finishing drives off, the offense is doing a good job of grinding drives at times. Drives that sometimes end up with seven points, sometimes three, sometimes miss field goals, and very rarely turnovers to where the opposing defense is ultimately worn down by the third quarter, but certainly the fourth quarter, whereas the Texas defense, although they have given up the occasional big play, They're very resilient in what happens afterwards. And they have also stifled opposing offenses, leaving a pretty drastic difference in time of possession. And that's something that we could see happen again against Oklahoma on Saturday. Because the Sooners are a pretty good passing football team right now. Dylan Gabriel, while he's not necessarily the next Pat Mahomes, I think he's a solid college quarterback at a couple of different stops now, first at UCF and now Oklahoma. And when he's healthy, he is a a factor, an X factor potentially at that quarterback position. He is a guy who can make plays for you. He has a very accurate downfield ball. And a solid group of receivers to throw it to. Where Oklahoma struggles right now on offense is running the football. They don't really have that one guy in the backfield. They have rotated dudes game to game. And it's a giant question mark as to who the starting running back will be for Oklahoma on Saturday. You take that with an offensive line that has been better in pass blocking than run blocking. And I think that plays into... Texas being able to commit a little bit more to the OU passing attack because they can trust the big bodies up front 
to slow OU's rushing attack to a crawl. To force a lot of second and third and longer than Oklahoma wants situations. Now, as good as the Texas defense has been, I mentioned occasionally giving up big plays. And there have also been some big plays that opposing offenses have left on the board by not completing passes downfield. And so, even as a Texas fan who has the utmost belief in this team and what they can accomplish in conference and nationally this year because of how good the defense is, I see that as a potential hole that Oklahoma might have their way with at times. But, again, you might be able to commit an extra guy or two, an extra safety perhaps, or Jade Barron at times, or maybe dropping one of the linebackers back a little bit more to help with that passing attack because you have so much trust in that front line. Headlined by Tavondre Sweat, though, but pick a name. All of these guys have had their moments this year, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. A couple of big injury questions for the Longhorns. A starter on each side of the ball. Let's start on defense since we were already talking Texas defense. Cornerback Ryan Watts left with a lower leg injury against Kansas. I believe that was in the second half of that game. And Steve Sarkeesian in his Monday presser said, we won't know about Watts and then also JT Sanders until Thursday. That's when they should have a better idea of what is happening with each guy. I don't expect Ryan Watts to play right now. But guess what? Even though he is a multi-year starter here at Texas after transferring from Ohio State, where I believe he started some games as a freshman too, you may see a slight upgrade in terms of the cover corner skills for the guy who will be replacing him. That is true freshman Malik Muhammad, who, while not as battle-tested, has proven a willing hitter in coming up and helping to stop whatever it is the opposing offense is trying to do in the flats where you need your defensive backs to be surefire tacklers. But I think he's also a better cover corner than Ryan Watts, even right now as a true freshman. I truly do believe that. So keep an eye on that one. And then the other injury that I did just mention his name, JT Sanders on the offensive side of the ball. It was very encouraging to see how he was trying to test that injury out after getting rolled up on in the first half of the Kansas game. Initially, that injury looked like a massive concern, considering that his knee bent inward in a way that it doesn't seem like a knee is supposed to bend. His ankle gets rolled up on a little bit too, and there was obviously a noticeable limp when he was leaving the field and heading into the locker room too. But when he came back out to try and test things, There was already a significant improvement there, and that probably just speaks to how much of a beast JT Sanders is. And despite the fact that, much like with that B. John Robinson play a few years ago, his freshman year against Tech, where I think any normal person would have ended up decapitated, B. John Robinson bounced back up and was ready to go back in the game. The coaches pretty much had to tell him, dude, you've got to sit out the rest of this game. We need to make sure everything's okay. But I believe he played the following week. JT Sanders is that sort of physical specimen to where a play that would blow all of our ligaments out, maybe break an ankle at the same time, is something that he's getting up and walking off 
and trying to argue with his coaches at halftime to let him back in the game. So ultimately, you want to look after a kid's long-term health, but you also need to let competitors compete. And if JT Sanders feels good about it, the trainers run him through a battery of tests and believe that he's good enough to go, JT Sanders needs to be a go. I don't know who the most important player on the Texas offense is in terms of pass catchers, but I guess the strongest argument could be made for JT Sanders and then also... Adonai Mitchell, too, who I think at this point has taken over as the number one wide receiver option for Quinn Ewers in that Texas passing attack. But to neglect what the Longhorns were able to do on the ground, I think, is to neglect the key factor when comparing these two teams, and that is Texas' ability to pick up yardage on the ground, where... I don't know if you call it found money or what, but Jonathan Brooks being reinserted as the starter for this football team, it didn't save the season necessarily, but I think it elevated the likelihood that this football team is playing for championships, and I did say that, plural, in December and beyond. Oklahoma has questions with their rushing attack. Texas doesn't have any questions. They have their guy, And then they have the guy backing up the guy with C.J. Baxter, the hard-running true freshman. But we shall see. Typically, the team that runs the ball better in this game wins the game far more often than not. All right, coming up, we are going to continue the Texas OU conversation with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Joining me every Wednesday here on Sports Day Plus is my good friend Justin Wells. You know him over the years, not only because I've had the pleasure to talk to him for so many years now, but also from the great work that he does for Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, also the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Justin, a pleasure catching up once again. How are we doing this week, my friend? Man, Trey, it, it's Texas OU, and I, I hadn't heard your voice in a while, so I figured this would be the time to catch up because, buddy, we got a top 12 matchup headed in Dallas, and uh, let's just say it's going to get a little crazy on Saturday. Does it feel like a top 12 matchup to you? I know Oklahoma is ranked 12 right now, but it, does it feel like a matchup between two teams who have legitimate conference and national championship hopes? Not really. Not really. I'm going to give Oklahoma credit. They are a much better football team this year than they were last year, and Brent Venables deserves some of that credit. I think the consistency with Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, he's healthy. I think that helps. Jeff Levy's the offensive coordinator, has been able to open it up a little bit more, and the defense is playing well. But they haven't really played anybody, and, they had, and they've had some issues with a few teams where they couldn't necessarily put them away. And so – I think in this instance, Texas has a an immense amount of confidence because they're basically coming back to, to, to the Cotton Bowl with the same roster they had last year, minus about five or six different guys. Oklahoma's returning a ton of guys as well. But the thing with this game I think it's going to make it close is Oklahoma wants to get last year's taste out of their mouth. When you lose 49 to nothing, I mean, buddy, that, that, sits, that sits in your program and, and throughout your facility – for, for 365 days until you play again. 
And so I think that's kind of notable in OU's uh, spectrum. But I don't think I don't think Oklahoma is the number 12 team in the country, Trey. And, and I may be wrong. I do think they're probably a 25 to 30 ranked group. I do think they, they, they've really upgraded on their talent on defense. Peyton Bowen, Billy Bowen, uh, Peyton, yeah, Peyton Bowen, Billy Bowen. You know, they've got they got some dudes back there. Danny Stutzman as well. But Oklahoma feels a little overrated. And and I think people get caught up in they they're undefeated too. They've gone five and zero to start the season. And when two teams go into to the Red River shootout, both five and zero, it's it's kind of easy to get caught up in this is a top ten matchup. This is a top twenty matchup. Oklahoma is a good team this year. They're much improved, but I don't think they're number twelve. We'll talk about some of the details of Texas Kansas here in a bit, but considering that this is your and my first time to catch up on the air, I think since the season opener for the Longhorns, what is your overview for uh, how this Texas football team looks right now? There are a lot more people that seem to believe that they can accomplish some special things this year, in part because they've done a good job taking business, taking care of business in places like Tuscaloosa, but also it does feel like we're seeing incremental improvements from game to game too. Yeah, it, it, it's it's incremental improvement each week. It's complementary football at its best, especially against Kansas. Sark talks about that a lot, about how you want to, your offense to help out the defense and the defense to help help out the offense. And if you get Sideshow Burt to kick in normal field goals again, the special teams portion of it comes along as well. Uh, the depth, that's the most, to me, that stands out more than anything with Texas. Uh, you know, Brent Venables talked Tuesday during his press conference in Norman, and he said, man, you just go through the lineup and it's all-star after all-star. And it's how we cover this guy and cover this guy. How do you cover Worthy and Mitchell and Sanders? It, it's a good problem to have for the Texas team. And I think, you know, there were some Tom Herman holdovers, and some of those were malcontents and had to be removed from the program. But there were some guys left over that really bought into Sark and that staff and their, and their vision, and they are paying dividends. They are playing incredible, and that's what's making this team so unique. You're getting key, key plays in minutes and reps and starts from juniors and seniors with experience, up-and-coming exceptional freshmen and budding sophomores. It's the perfect, perfect mixture of a roster. And so I think that's why you're seeing Texas have this kind of success. I don't think they've played their best game yet, Trey, on either side of the ball. Now, against Baylor, I thought their defense was, was pretty stellar considering special teams muffed two punts and, and gifted uh, BU the ball inside the 10 twice. But they didn't, they didn't give up anything. And so give Texas credit because they're using their depth. It, it's being tremendous right now. They, they, if you look at their rep allocation – their defensive linemen, guys that you really want to keep fresh throughout a game, are averaging about 20 to 25 snaps a game. That's it. That's it. If Tavondre Sweat is giving you what he's giving you at 25 snaps a game, buddy, that's, that's hell to cover, to, 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 prepare, to prepare, prepare for, to try to figure out how to get around that. Because you got Alfred Collins playing better. You got Trill Carter coming off the bench. You got Vernon Broughton that's playing his best his best football on campus right now. And so give Sark and those guys credit. They've got the 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 holdovers from the Herman regime bought in. They've just really spiked the roster with talent, especially this freshman class. We're seeing major, major minutes from CJ Baxter, from Anthony Hill, from Manny Muhammad. I mean, there's some legitimate dude there on that roster. Jonte Cook is making a big catch. 
each game last three weeks. Texas has depth. They have some momentum. They're gaining some confidence. And the difference in this year's Texas OU game is I can't remember a Texas team that's probably in the late 2000s, 2008, 2009, 2010 time, where the Horns were really confident going into this game. Now, it's always a battle. People understand that. It's always, it's always going to be that way. It's a fist fight at the fair part. But Texas, after last year, Oklahoma desperately wants to get that 49 to nothing taste off their mouth. They, they have to. And Texas is coming in with the majority of what they did last year. They have a ton of confidence. I expect to see an Alabama-type offensive uh, performance. Because I think I think if they run fast, I think if they run tempo, they're going to keep they're going to catch Oklahoma sleeping a little bit. That's the problem for OU. Their defense is getting better, but they haven't been challenged yet. Saturday, challenge accepted. Does it surprise you all to see how well Jonathan Brooks has done? Given that uh, once he finally, I guess, earned back that feature back role a couple games into the year, I'm not surprised how well he's played. I am surprised that that joker is ripping off 21 and 22 mile per hour runs. (laughs) That was always the thing with Jonathan. It was his positives were his balance, his vision, his weight, his incredible feet. He didn't fumble the ball. He can catch the ball in the backfield. Kind of your all around back, but, but lacked that speed button. He lacked that burst. (laughs) In the last two weeks, he has that burst. It's like he, you know, it's like he's got sonic boosters or something. This dude hits a hole and goes untouched. He's done that in back-to-back weeks now. And, and even Sark mentioned, we didn't know if we had a home run hitter type guy back there. Brooks has been that guy. And that takes so much pressure off the offense, off the offensive line, and off the quarterback Quinn Ewers to where he can go at 25 for 35 and, and, and score three touchdowns and be a consistent game manager. Jonathan Brooks deserves a ton of credit. He's third in the in college football in rushing. Did you know that? He is third in the nation in rushing. If you would have told me that fact uh, week one going into Texas OU, I probably would have uh, chuckled a little bit. I would have thought it would have been more of an aggregate uh, of C.J. Baxter and Keelan Robinson and those guys. Jonathan Brooks said, you know what? I've got this. Baxter's been dinged up since camp, guys. He's still not healthy. Keelan Robinson has a set set you know, section of plays, and that's it. And Jaden Blue has shown a little bit of burst too, but Jonathan Brooks has been the consistent guy back there. And the biggest thing that he does is each time he gets in the end zone or each time he gets to a first down marker, he runs right back around to his O-line and goes, I appreciate you guys. Y'all did that for me. Let's go do it again. That's the team mentality. That's that culture that Sark is instilling. Remember, Brooks shared a locker room with Bijan Robinson and Rashawn Johnson the last two years. If you don't think he picked up some of their tidbits, think again. Brooks is, is playing as well as anybody, and I think he finally deserves that credit. Are you happy with the, where the offensive line is through five games, Justin? You know, that's a good question. They've been good. You know, beggars can't be choosers. They've been good. Have they been great? Eh, not since Alabama. But I think sometimes these defenses have come and shown them a few things they weren't used to. When you talk about Rice, when you talk about Wyoming, those were instances where they weren't necessarily prepared for some different looks. And it took the O-line a little bit of time to adjust, which is natural. With Alabama, with Baylor, they knew exactly what they were going to do. So it was easy to prepare for it, and that's why, they didn't, that's why they weren't confused by anything, and that's why you saw such dominant play on the offensive line that game. 
they're they're good. I mean, if, if we're picking nits, I'd like to see a, a little less, you know, trouble when, when it comes to pre-snap stuff. A Jake Major, Jake Majors, you know, a bad snap about once a game. But I'm telling you, that's being picky at this stage. DJ Campbell is only getting better. Christian Jones is is being dominant. Kelvin Banks is still still being really really solid. I believe he gave up his, a, a sack against Kansas, but this guy is still about as solid as you get at left tackle and, and growing. And so, the O line to me is deeper. They're a year older, but also they're facing more pressure because now the defenses they don't think they can just pin their ears. They have to be judicious in their in their in their blitz packages and things of that sort because this is a group that picks you up. And if this offensive line picks up the blitz, Quinn Ewers is dialing people up regularly down the field. That's why Texas is winning by such a large margin in every contest this year. Yeah, Quinn Ewers has obviously taken those steps forward that we all hoped when we saw an added level of commitment. I know everybody talks about the haircut, but really the total body transformation. There's been an attitude transformation as well that's very obvious to me to where even when things aren't going great for him or his side of the ball, we are seeing a guy who is remaining positive, remaining optimistic, remaining vocal in uh, congratulating his teammates if they do something good, and eventually he's seeing that breakthrough. And on top of this overall positive attitude now, we're also seeing a guy who's doing a much better job of displaying the footwork necessary to consistently hit throws at all three different levels. So just one more reason why we feel good about Texas right now. Need to take a quick commercial break. Hanging out with Justin Wells for a couple segments of InsideTexas.com and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Coming up, we get more into Texas OU. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back for one more segment with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas. InsideTexas.com and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Justin, Texas OU kicks off this Saturday at the Cotton Bowl at 11 a.m. We talked a little bit about uh, just whether this feels like a top 12 matchup. I think we both agree that it doesn't, but it turns into a closer game if a couple guys aren't playing for the Longhorns. So let's uh, get your thoughts on what you're hearing about the injuries for both JT Sanders and Ryan Watts. Starting with Sanders, do you think we see JT Sanders play on Saturday? You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where JT Sanders is one of the reasons this offense it works at such a high level. He, he was he Ewers' was safety valve last year and wind up setting the single-season record for catches in a season by, by, by a Texas tight end. And, and he's only done more with two 100-yard you know, games already this year and, and, and clearly in the John Mackey Award um, – peripheral there's something there you know JT Sanders is having a great year I think JT could have probably still played against Kansas he got rolled up on I think it was Brooks uh in that in that late first quarter you know he was on the sidelines he was trying to talk Sark into kind of letting him go back in I think Sark felt like it wasn't worth the push they, they were in a good position with Kansas they felt like they were in control of the game and, and that they didn't necessarily need him that let, Gun, that let Gunner Helm come in and, and take the rest of the majority of those snaps. He's played well this year as, as the number two tight end. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Sanders hits the field on Saturday. I know he's, I know he's dinged up, but it, it's going to take a lot to keep him off the field. The amount of Denton Ryan alum 
that are going to be on the field Saturday that were all in his class and classes around him are ridiculous. There is so much Den Ryan in this game. I think Jatavian would feel almost left out. And, and, and I do think he would be healthy enough to play. Ryan Watts is, is an unknown right now. Uh, I know that he's a guy that's trying to get ready. He's trying to get himself prepared. He's going through treatments. He's trying to make sure that he can be ready to, to take snaps and, and, and let a rip on Saturday. And so that's going to be something to watch because even if you lose a Watts, the depth at corner is still sick. Because we saw Ryan go out against Kansas. Manny Muhammad comes in. Listen, I don't think he's better than Ryan Watts as a football player, but I do think he's better as a cover corner. Yep. I mean, Manny is sticky. And when you got Terrence Brooks on the other side, who is turned into one of the top corners in the Big 12, one of the best in the country, he, he's, he's rated three or he's – he's the top in three or four different categories in the Big 12 for cover skills. Terrence Brooks has been huge. So if Watts isn't able to go – I don't think you miss much. He's a great open field tackler. He's great when they, when they let him come inside the box a little bit because he's the size of an outside linebacker. But if Watts isn't ready, you've got Manny Muhammad. And then you've got a Gavin Holmes who's had some reps to transfer from Wake Forest who can give you, you know, that blind speed and also has good ability and technique. And so with Sanders, I would be surprised if he didn't. With Watts, I know he's working hard to get back on that field because he wants to be out there Saturday. He was a key factor last year. He wants to no Texas players don't want to miss this game, Trey. Yeah. There are if you're playing Kansas, they can tell you, all right, I'll take I'll take a quarter off. You're playing Baylor, yeah, you can set out the second half. Texas OU is a fist fight that these guys like to throw hands with. And so it'll be interesting to see what, what, what those two kids are able to do on Saturday. Well, especially with JT Sanders, there's a good chance this is his last Texas OU game. This is his last Texas OU game. Yeah, like, he's not coming back. Yeah, how he's I, going in the first. He'll probably go in the late first, early mid second round of the 2024 NFL draft, and that's going to be ammunition for Jeff Banks to go out and get a Emory Winston, 2025 tight end, six foot three, 235 pounder out of Calhoun, Georgia, who's going to be at Texas OU this weekend. We posted that at Inside Texas today. That gives you that opportunity to go get you another big star, big, big-time guy like a Sanders. This is te- Sanders' last Texas OU. In case something drastic happens, that Joker's playing in the league next year. Well, I need to thank you for such a smooth transition because we will still talk a little bit more about the game in a few minutes, but let's go ahead and discuss that visitors list. Texas is the home team this year, so they get the official visitors for this game. Who else should Longhorn fans familiarize themselves with who will be at the Cotton Bowl on Saturday? It's always a, a good recruiting t- turnout when it comes to it. I remember last year, Oklahoma was the, the home team, so they got to host. And I was talking with a few of the recruits during the game during the beginning of that blowout. And, I, and I'll never forget Micah Hudson telling me he left the Oklahoma side to go sit with the Texas fans. Hmm. And Colton Voschick left the Oklahoma side as an Oklahoma commit. It didn't feel right over there to go over to the, to the Texas side. It is one of the funniest stories I had posted a recruit's reaction before the game was even over. This year, there's not as many 2024s as you would like to see, but Texas is almost done in this cycle in this, with that class. There's like five spots left. Ryan Wingo, one of their top targets, five-star wide receiver out of St. Louis, he's going to be at the Missouri game. He wanted to come to Texas OU, but he's having senior night with his high school teammates on Friday night, and the drive to, to Columbia is a lot shorter than it is to Austin. 
Uh, Kobe Black, you know, he's gone back and forth between the Texas OU game or Texas A&M Alabama. Feels like it's going to be an Alabama A&M visit for him. He had had that scheduled, an official visit scheduled at College Station for three months now. He's going to go through with that. But when you look at the 2025s, and that's really the ones you're trying to, to set the foundation with when you basically wrapped up your 2024 class also, Harlem Berry, the number one running back in the country. He's out of Metairie, Louisiana, St. Martin's Episcopal. This kid's got some Jamal Charles to him, and I'm telling you, He's the number one back for a reason. He's going to be at Texas OU. Him and, and Tashard Choice, Texas running back coach, have been building a strong relationship. I actually saw Harlem a year and a half ago when I went down to New Orleans to go see Arch Manning. Harlem's uh, team played before Arches, and I just was blown away by this kid with these Fred Astaire feet and this, this, this you know, bullet Bob Hayes speed because he's a state champion on the track as well. Harlem is the man, and we know how Choice recruits running backs at a very high level. So getting him on campus, I felt like – getting him into the game, I, I feel like is a big, big thing. Kobe Sellers, one of the rising corners from 2025 Shadow Creek, he'll be there. Anthony Williams also from Shadow Creek, a four-star outside linebacker. He's going to be on campus. The list is just growing and growing. Riley Pettyjohn, that's an early, inval- early eval for Texas, at linebacker out of McKinney. He's going to be at the game as well. That list is growing, so – be sure and check out InsideTexas.com because we're updating that thing on a regular basis. So there's some there's some high-end guys. Zion Williams is a maybe. That's the big-time defensive tackle out of Lufkin, 6'3", 315 pounds. Uh, Bo Davis and the staff absolutely love him. So uh, K.J. Edwards, Texas offer 2026 running back out of Carthage. He's going to be there. Darian Ball, 2026 top target for Texas out of Texas High up in Texarkana. He's going to be on campus. So if you're a Texas fan, don't get discouraged if you don't see a lot of top 2024s. That class is almost is almost signed up, and, and there's just not a lot of room left. Now Texas is really identifying those 2025s that they want to go heavy on, and I think Harlem Berry is, is the cream of the crop. Love to hear that they're on top of things like that. All right, Justin, uh, one more question on Texas football before we shift to the Dallas Cowboys if we have the time, because there aren't a ton of holes on the roster right now or within the uh, confines of what's happening on the field. You mentioned one of the potential holes right now. That is Burt Auburn with a uh, serious case of the yips, missing the shorty at Baylor. He pushed one last weekend. He pulled another one. So field goal kicking is a problem. And punt return has gotten really weird, too, with Xavier Worthy back there. Now, he is top 10 in the country in terms of the balls that he actually does get his hands on to return. That's great. But it seems like there's an apprehension with him even catching the football or trying to at times. What's going on there? And do you think this is something where we see an open tryout once Texas gets to the off week and maybe has a chance to deal with something like changing punt returners midseason? You know, that's a great question because, you know, if you talk to any of those coaches or any of the players in the Texas program, Jeff Banks has sold them on special teams is the third phase of the game. There are three phases, and it's as important as the other two. These guys really buy in to that side of the ball, and, and you love to see that. Let's start with the punt returns. They muff a couple of them in, in Baylor, and everybody kind of starts to get a little antsy. Xavier Worthy, and, and, and understand this, you, you feel punts with your feet. It's not your hands, not your chest, not your arms. It's your feet. If your feet are setting under the ball, you're more than likely going to get it. So Worthy needed some tweaking. And last week, we saw him fair catch most of them. 
I guarantee you he was told to do that. Because when you do have maybe not so much the yips back there, but when you do have a few bum returns, you do have a muff punt. You do have Jordan Whittington dropping one, which tells you he never drops anything. It's one of those things where it didn't hurt you this week, but it could next week. It could in three weeks. You want to make sure you get it down now. That's my issue with Burt Auburn. I don't think there's going to be any change at punt return. Worthy's going to be back there for the rest of the year. I I doubt you'll see any change there. Will he fair catch a lot of stuff? (laughs) Maybe. It depends on field position. It depends on the punt. Depends on a lot of factors. But don't be surprised if he fair catches a lot of it just to give the offense the ball and another solid possession. On the kicking end, I don't really know what you do with Burt at this point. He's been so solid in his his one and a half years in in Austin, you kind of have to keep going with him because once – He's like a shooter in basketball. It, you got to keep kicking to get out of the slump. You got to keep shooting to get out of the slump. Texas has been really lucky in that regard. None of these kicks, missed kicks, have been have affected the game, have affected the score. There will be a game this year where that happens. There will be a game where you can't shank one with two and a half minutes left, down two points. You need to fill gold to get the lead in the fourth quarter and try to try to drown out, try to choke out a team. That's the fear. It's not, oh, you miss, you'll, you'll, you'll miss a chip shot against Oklahoma when you're up 21 to nothing. That doesn't matter. It's when it's a close game. And let me tell you, there are going to be more close games this year. It doesn't really feel like Texas has played too much of one outside of maybe Bama. And even then, then they had most of the control in the second half. Well said. There he is, Justin Wells, Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Check him out there. And check him out on Sports Day Plus every Wednesday starting at about 6.15. Justin, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time today. Hey, nothing but love, Trey. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Final segment of today's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly, today is not that day. And before we get to the main story... For today's Where Are We At, which does involve another example of just how enslaved we are to this technology that exists in our pockets and in some cases on our wrists, I do need to wish a very happy, in my intro I said 50th birthday, but it looks like a happy 40th birthday to Hooters. Yes, the original restaurant. As far as I know, well, other than strip clubs who rock that steak and seafood special for lunch, but yes, Hooters, which has been entertaining, creepy old guys and creepy young guys for decades now does in fact turn 40, not just this month, but literally today. It was back on April 4th. It was back on October 4th, 1983, when six Clearwater, Florida geniuses 
Lynn, Gil, Ed, Billy, Ken, and Dennis. Open the original Hooters. Now, the original owners were so down on the idea, why are you spending money to open this restaurant then? But they were so down on the idea that this restaurant would last that they built a graveyard in front of the store in honor of businesses that had failed in that same location. But here we are 40 years now, and Hooters is apparently still a thing. I couldn't tell you where the Hooters is in Austin nowadays. Is the one by Anderson Mill Mall still around? Maybe. The one in Round Rock, perhaps? I know the one on Riverside that my friends and I used to go to in college. That one's no longer around. It is now a... I don't know if it's a business building or a residential building, but it is a tall glass building nonetheless. And I got to say, it's fitting for Hooters turning 40 because things have been sagging a little bit for Hooters, haven't they? I mean, they are closing locations after all. Hooters really did hit its heyday in the 1990s and I guess early 2000s too when that sort of thing was a little bit more acceptable, I guess. And look, if that's your thing these days, if you like going and getting those breaded chicken wings, whatever beer's on tap, they used to have something there that was pretty good. I don't even recall at this point because the food was secondary to being a creepy college kid or a creepy young guy staring at scantily clad women who were wearing a really unflattering pantyhose too. If I'm completely honest about things, like everybody knows what the Hooters outfit is, the orange hot pants, spandex, I don't know what you call those things, and the tight white shirt with the owl and the name Hooters going across the front, but that pantyhose, it knocked things down a couple of notches. Strangely, I do have a favorite Hooters memory of all time. It has to do with my dad, who admittedly I don't have the closest relationship with, but it is one of the few sincere moments, I guess, in our life where he tried to impart some knowledge on me. We were at a Hooters in Dallas on Beltline Road, the one that was really close to Magic Time Machine. And I was an awkward, chubby to overweight to some might even call me fat, teenager who was awkwardly looking around as my dad and his friend drank beer and we waited for our chicken wings to arrive looking around at all the attractive Dallas women dressed up like Hooters waitresses I guess they were Hooters waitresses who also lived in Dallas looking around trying to catch a peek here and there even though you don't need to be covert about it being overt with gawking at Hooters is to be expected My dad looks at me, sees me checking things out, and said, Son, someday you may have an opportunity with a woman like this. Just remember one thing. Yeah, I was like, yeah, Dad, this wasn't about to be good. His words, quote, Always strap up because you don't want to catch something that doesn't rub off. Wow, Dad, thanks. Considering that it would be another several years before I kissed a girl, maybe in part because of this moment, I will try to keep that in mind. And I guess I took the advice to heart because I thankfully didn't catch anything that never rubbed off. 
Happy birthday, Hooters. Next story for where are we at in society? How much of a slave to your technology are you? Well, we go to Michigan for this next story with a woman who proves just how big of a slave she is to these phones and these devices that are clearly much smarter than us at this point. A woman in Bagley Township, Michigan, had to be rescued earlier this week from an outhouse toilet after she climbed in to retrieve her Apple Watch and became trapped. The woman, who thankfully for her, whose name was not released, lowered herself inside the toilet after dropping the watch at the Department of Natural Resources boat launch at Dixon Lake in Bagley Township. First responders were called when the woman was heard yelling for help. The toilet was removed and a strap was used to haul the woman out. State police said the following in a release, quote, If you lose an item in an outhouse toilet, do not attempt to venture inside the contaminated area. Serious injury may occur. Police did not say if the woman was injured or if the watch was recovered. Look, if you're going to end up stuck in the outhouse, you damn well better make sure you get that watch back. But much like is the case for those who number two themselves, there are some unwritten rules here. If you lose your technology in an outhouse, first rule of number two in yourself, well, I guess the first rule is don't number two yourself, but the first rule if you number two yourself is... That underwear is gone. There's no coming back. You have to throw it away. I'm sorry. No amount of washes is going to wash away the memory of what you've done to yourself. Rule number two is you don't talk about it for several years, if not a decade. The number one rule of dropping technology into an outhouse is you don't try and go in and retrieve the technology. That technology is gone. Much like the soiled underpants, that technology is done. Goodbye. Yeah, I know. It's going to cost money to replace. Probably shouldn't have taken your watch off in an outhouse. Maybe you want to leave that outside. Attached to a tree limb or something the next time. But this woman, unfortunately, succumbed to the power of her device. And by the way, embarrassing story for me, I guess. But I get it. Because I have found myself in a very similar situation in the past. 15 years ago, I moved to Oregon. And one of my first days there, I'd moved for a job and hadn't started working just yet. And so I didn't know anybody. My mom, who drove with me from Texas to Oregon, had already flown back. Well, I was taking care of my business on the toilet in my apartment. I think I was playing a game with my cell phone. It was one of those slider phones. I want to say I was playing Tetris maybe. And unfortunately, as I was taking care of cleanup, I guess, boy, this is getting really gross. I apologize. My phone drops down into the toilet, into the used toilet. Well, I see the phone in there. I see all the stuff in there. The phone's kind of on top of everything else. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try and flush right now. 
flush, everything goes down, including the phone. Now, mind you, I am in a brand new place where I don't know anybody. And so I need that phone, but I assume the phone is just gone. I assume it's in the Medford sewage system, but here's the weird thing. The phone, when it hit the water, it started vibrating and the vibrating continued after it got sucked into that toilet hole to where I could hear it within the innards of the toilet. So what did I spend the next four hours doing? Figuring out how to take a toilet apart to try and get this phone back. And sure enough, I got to the point where the phone was right there on one of the inside pipes that I had undone, but I couldn't quite get it with a coat hanger. So what did I have to do? I had to stick my hand into the pipe repeatedly over and over again, jamming my little well, not my little fingers, I have normal size, if not big fingers, but jam my fingers, claw style, into this pipe to try and get this phone back. It's still vibrating after all, so I know it still works. I got to get the memory card out of there so I can have my phone number, so I can contact people and move on with my life. And eventually I did get it, but at that point in time, I realized, much like with many other people, keep in mind, this is 15 years ago, before this technology became as addictive as it is now, that I was a slave to my device, just like this woman in Michigan was, and just like you probably would be in a similar scenario. All right, that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Justin Wells for hopping on for a couple of seconds to talk Texas OU. Stay tuned. We will continue the Texas OU conversation tomorrow. In the meantime, have yourself a great rest of the evening and... Hook'em. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.